An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. I feel a little bit safer. I'm totally safe. I'm still shaking a bit, but a little bit safer. was a rhyme and it wasn't too bad what you said right there honestly didn't make me sad so we'll continue on okay are we on we it's getting on yeah. <laughs> all right everybody we're back with an eye for an podcast i'm your host lisa and i'm here with your boy Maddie Ice. Hello. Hey, hello, everybody. We're back. We are back, ready to attack the next case. Last week, we covered Mary Bell. Thank you guys for your feedback on the case. We've had... Very much appreciated. We've had so much feedback. I know we seem to be begging, but it's very, very helpful when you rate and review our podcast. Not only does it help our show get noticed more in iTunes, it just really helps our souls be lifted to the skies. It's critical for us. Honestly, and... And the feedback doesn't always have to be positive. We're no. looking for feedback. So it's like whatever your brain's telling you when you're listening to the show, type it on up and send it on over via Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, whatever you listen on, iHeartRadio. We're on there. We're on Spotify. I was told this week that my voice makes me sound like a vampire in some way. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to shout out. for that out. reason, a lot. <laughs> We want to shout some people out. Yes, so this is going to be a little shout-out corner real quick for the people that have loved and supported us and have really been vocal about it on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, uh, on Apple iTunes, on different reviews. Um, We want to shout-out you guys out. So the first one that Matt mentioned we want to shout-out is our good friend El Nino. El Nino. A.K.A. Athena. Athena killed us with her comments today. So she's... So amazing on our Instagram account, which is iForiPod, if you want to follow us. But, and, and that's a good place to go because we always post visuals of who we're speaking of. Just because I'm a visual learner, I'm a visual person, I like to see who the case is about. Yes. Um, but Matt, tell me what she <laughs> said about you. Oh, man. I got it. I got to pull it up here on my phone. So it was truly me, incredible. Just the background. She messaged me, and she's like me. She wants to see visual like a vision she wants to know who's speaking who's behind the voices and so i posted a picture of matt curled up in a ball over her majesty's pleasure sentencing which if you don't know what it is go check out episode 11 we discuss it because it was uh what ended up happening in that case it's actually pretty cool sentencing and as matt (laughs) says over and over again in the podcast 
It's something that would chill him to the bone. And so, it literally did, so... So we posted a picture of him being chilled to the bone, and she is my favorite person on the planet Earth now because what she said... Deadass, I was in tears at work. <laughs> I, I could not stop laughing. My boss even had to make a comment, like, are you all right? I was like, man, I can't even tell you. Oh, it was the most glorious thing I've ever seen in my it, life. So, out of context, it just sounds weird, but it is hilarious. Do you have it pulled up? I do. All right, I read do it, have it pulled up. So, <laughs> it, oh man. <laughs> it's just so great. It's so good. I gotta, I can't help but laugh. So, the <laughs> tagline under this post is when Matt was having an existential crisis over what the sentence Her Majesty's Pleasure meant during recording episode 11. And <laughs> El Nino, our good friend, comments This isn't Matt, it can't be. Swear to God, it's me, yo. In my head, he has a beard and shaggy hair, maybe a peach fuzz mustache, and is always chewing on a toothpick. (laughs) Wait, my favorite part. With a sexy, condescending grin and an intense stare. And I thought he might dress like a vampire. (laughs) Oh, my God. Plus, his voice is identical with... That of the hottie, man, you. Yes, C.A. Conover. What the hell? (laughs) Speaking of that, check out WTH3. All of you guys, please check it out. check it out, check it out. Our many subs. Thanks for ruining my vision. (laughs) (laughs) El Nino, I I cannot lie. I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. That That had me... Dying. We love you in your comments. You honestly that was so funny. days. And that one, hands down, will probably that always be the best comment. Totally ever. made my day, honestly. If anybody tops <laughs> that, you guys will be on <laughs> another level because that was stop. amazing. So thank you for that El Nino, aka. Mind you, I can barely grow facial hair. <laughs> this is the truth. I'm 26 I wonder, like, what and I still struggle to grow facial hair. I think my voice like makes me look like. Because she said, oh, so I posted a picture of myself after from my. Glam and Gouda Instagram page, and my eyes missing. And uh, she said, I always knew you were gorgeous. And I'm like, I love this girl. You're just such, if you saw me now, you'd be like, no, we can work on it. All thought up, I can understand though. But thank you so much for that. That thank was really you. nice. And saying, Matt, it ruined your vampire dreams. I do apologize about that. But we had to shout out a few more people real quick. Um, so we really wanted to give a huge, huge, huge shout out. To Rachel uh, Gregorino, I don't know if I fucked up the pronunciation of that, but she made our badass new cover art um, for all of our podcasts. We got three, actually, from her, so you'll definitely be seeing all three of those throughout, you know, as we continue to grow as a podcast. They are the most amazing. If you need a graphic designer, that's who you should go to. Her information's going to be in the show notes of every single episode because now she is the face of every single episode, and we absolutely love her designs. We actually couldn't even decide ourselves. We had to have a vote, and people were torn. It was literally a 50-50 split. It was bananas, but we love you. Thank you so, so much for the badass logo. We loved our old logo, but it wasn't. It didn't meet the criteria size-wise, and then it got fuzzy. So we just wanted to change it up a little bit, make it a little bit more clean, more logo-y instead of picture-y. But we love our last logo, and we love these logos, if you have any art that you want to send our way um, or designs that you think would be cool for our podcast, please send them to us. We're on everything. We're on 
uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Email ifrypod at gmail.com. Everything is ifrypod. So we wanted to shout out a few people who have been consistently interacting with us, leaving us reviews. Just being so great, doing you know, doing above and beyond to make us know that that you know we we do have listeners, and when it's not just Matt and I talking to each other, and that's it. So we wanted to shout out Maggie, of course El Nino, <laughs> aka Athena, <laughs> Chelsea, Nadine, John Nathan, of course, Ugh, mm. Angela, mm-hmm. of course. We wanted to shout out Madeline. We wanted to shout out Jennifer. GS489 FSDAFSA. That's uh, cool. Do whatever yeah, you want. We whatever don't care name you choose, that's fine. We have JS59217 or 2017, 5Smiths01, and Kate. So we love you all. We're so happy that you've left us reviews and comments, and you've really been such a blessing to our podcast, and we hope it continues. We hope we make you proud. If there's anything you ever want us to do or change or a case you want to hear, well, anyone, but especially you guys, let us know. We love the communication. We love the constant feedback, and we love you. We just wanted to say we love you. Now, real quick, I want to get into something a little bit more serious before we get into the case. Matt and I are doing an episode in the next coming weeks regarding the recent... Public outcry and exposure to the overwhelming, obviously, pandemic that's been going on of women being abused throughout the world. And men, but... Mainly women. Mainly women. We're, we're, we we're being honest. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to be very frank on this podcast. So we really we want to make um, an episode a little bit... More serious of an episode, of course, because, you know, as much as we want to take these cases seriously, we do like to have a little lighthearted banter. But this this situation is serious. It's 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 been going on probably for centuries. I don't know. I've, I've known about sexual abuse, harassment, all of the above. Forever just comes with being a female. I don't know if you can relate because uh, you're a man. But, you know, I'm sure you've heard about it. You've seen it yourself. And it's, it's a, such a hard topic to cover, but it's something that needs to be spoken about. It needs, and, and now it is. And now we have celebrities speaking out. We have athletes speaking out. We have people with such serious platforms speaking out and actually making movements. And so we'd like to be a part of that. Obviously, we don't have that high of a scale, but we'd, we'd love to just have our voices out there as well and say we support you, we love you, we want to share your stories, we want to have your voices heard, and if you're interested in being a part of that episode, please reach out to us directly. You can email us at ifrypod at gmail.com. We have a lot of different things that you could help us with. If you don't want to speak on the episode, that's absolutely fine. If you don't want to share your story, that's absolutely fine. There are ways you can help us you know, bring awareness to such a serious matter. And, and really the most powerful way to do that is, is to have this interaction, to have this conversation, to have this engagement. So if you would like to talk, you can message me, direct message us on any of our social media platforms. Again, they're all iFryPod or, ouch, or you can email us and we'd really appreciate it. We'd love to get in the conversation with you guys directly one-on-one, you know, as much as you're willing to share if you have, you know, different... Uh, networks that you could connect us to we absolutely would love to hear from you and this is something that we really we don't we don't want to play around with the subject we really want to make this a powerful episode and an episode that you know reaches everyone 
Absolutely. So we just want to shout that out. So if you have a story you want to tell, want to be a part of the project, have information, have resources, we'd love to hear from you in any of the ways that we discussed just a minute ago. Absolutely. Any feedback that anybody wants to offer. We'd like to make this episode as public as possible, and the best way to do that is to have as many voices as we mm-hmm. can heard. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So just let us know. So let's get into today's case, Matt. Let's dive right Episode in, Lisa. Episode number 12, fucking it up since day one. Woo, woo. <laughs> All right. Today's case, everybody. So we're getting into it. So if you're a true crime junkie like me, I'm sure you've heard of this case. And this is the quintessential eye for an eye case. And you'll know what I mean by the time we get into that part. But there are really, I would say, three different opinions on this case but there's two very 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 concrete sides of the fence and both have good arguments so let's get into it yes let's start so byron david smith if you guys know who i'm talking about get ready so byron david smith he's now 71 years old and he is an air force vet and is retired from the u.s state department and he was he worked in the um, security engineering office so he did his time in the government, did his time in the military. Old man, now he's 71 years old. All of this takes place when he was about 65. But that's something to keep in mind. He's an old man. Not that that really takes away from the crime. No, it doesn't take away from the crime, but it makes a difference. Yeah, in, you well, know, for sure. Rings the heart, pulls the heartstrings a little bit, if you it don't does, know. It does, right. Yeah, totally I does. I didn't think about it that way. Smith was a well-traveled man, and he had been to cities such as Moscow, Bangkok, Beijing. He was all over the place again because he was with the Air Force, and he did stuff for the U.S. State Department. Smith's Minnesotan home was known to have been burglarized on numerous occasions, and they reported at least half a dozen times that his house was broken into and shit was stolen. Among the items stolen in these slew of robberies that had happened to this man's house, and mind you, this man lives alone. I don't believe he was ever married. I do not believe he has kids, and if he does, they do not live with him. He is alone in this house. But among the items that were stolen from Byron were thousands of dollars in cash, the watch his father had received after spending nearly a year as a POW in World War II, medals and ribbons Smith had earned in the Air Force during the Vietnam War, several firearms, and a lot of jewelry. Now, the firearms is where some of the arguments come into play here, too. Yes. So keep that in mind. Firearms, guns, weapons were stolen from this man's house. That happened. And that's scary. Yeah, on multiple occasions he was dealing with burglars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't alone. And and the fact that they're stealing weapons from his house, that makes you feel like they're going to come back for more sinister reasons. Because why do you need to steal guns? You know, like, what what do you need that for? Once you've stolen guns and money and jewelry and... I mean, there's a lot of stuff. What else are you looking for? Yeah, like, why would you steal someone's, like, medals and... You know, trinkets from being a POW or being a vet. Like, that's just sick. That's just horrible. Why would you steal? Like, well, first of all, what are you going to fucking do with that? Can you pawn that stuff? Like, I don't you even can. know. You can. Yeah, I mean, anything can be flipped. <sighs> Whatever. So, let's get into the crime here. Or the quote-unquote crime, because some people don't believe that this was a crime. And that's what we're going to go into. So, on November twenty second, 2012, which is, if you didn't know back then, it's Thanksgiving Day. Mm-hmm. And... This is actually my freshman year in college, so this is recently. I, you know, only a few years ago, only six years ago. Now, so, you know, 
it's a fairly new case. And remember that, too, because it's it's the laws. You know, the laws are ever-changing. However, it wasn't that long ago. So think of that as, it, as if it happened now almost. So on Thanksgiving Day, Haley Kiefer, who was 18 years old, and her cousin Nicholas Brady, who was 17 at the time, broke into the home of Byron David Smith, who was then 65. Mm-hmm. Now, as we stated before, he had been used to this happening over and over and over and over again. They were not the first people. Well, they might have been the actual people, but that this was not the first time. Might have been their first house. time. wasn't his first yes, time. He was carrying a gun around his home. Yeah, he... he after the first couple robberies, he would he walked around strapped, is what he said, and and obviously that means he had guns on him at all times because he was t- presumably fearful. So, video surveillance because he, along with being strapped up, walking around his own home, which is a horrible way to live. Um, it's sad, honestly, it, that he felt that insecure it, in his home. And um, he beyond that, he did have video surveillance set up around his perimeters of his property so he could see when these people were trying to break into his house because this happened way too many times for this to you know fly with him anymore so video surveillance did capture the teens casing the property prior to breaking in now the two teens believed the home was empty and there was no because there were no vehicles so the two teens believed that the home was empty presumably because there were no vehicles present on the property and this will also come into play later. They would be very sorely mistaken, Matt. So yes. Little did they know, Byron David Smith was home on Thanksgiving Day by himself, and he was sitting in his basement with a Ruger Mini 14, which is a gun. Ruger. 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 That's a gun. <laughs> Ruger Mini 14. Seemingly in wait for the people to, who broke into his house to wander down to meet their fate. So he was there this entire time. He was watching them on surveillance cameras. And he actually, it almost felt like, he, he was pretty much preparing for it, it felt like. Yeah, it seemed like he was almost... Anticipating. Anticipating this happening. I mean, almost Which like a final sad. showdown. It's happening that often that you can anticipate when it's going to happen. Yeah, he kind of expected it. Like, it, that's... That's a problem in of itself. Exactly. I totally agree. Because normally when uh, anyone's burgled, they, they don't... They're not expecting it. That's not something that, like, is a commonality in most people's lives. So he was sitting in the basement, kind of like a sitting, like, like sitting away. Like, he was almost like a hunter waiting for their prey is kind of how it, how it feels. Yeah, it almost seems like he's just kind of, he's prepared for whatever happened. I mean, if anybody came into his house, he knew what he was going to do. So... Nicholas Brady was the first person to come in contact with Smith in the basement. He came down the basement stairs, not knowing, obviously, that Smith was there. Uh, And as he made his way down the steps, Byron shot him three times. When he fell down, he hit the bottom of the stairs, and he shot him twice more. Uh, Smith also set up a handheld recorder on a bookshelf, which captured audio of this. You can hear him saying, You're dead. That recorder captured that audio right before he shot Brady and killed him, right? I mean, right before he shot him. Yeah, yeah so the reports basically say that Brady was Fell coming down. down to the basement, I guess, to try to steal some stuff. Didn't know Byron was there. Byron was sitting in a chair with a gun. At the top of the stairs, he shot Brady. He fell down the stairs. Well, he shot Brady, yeah, at the top of the stairs. He fell down the stairs, and then he walked up to him and shot him in the head. And he said before he shot him, you're dead. 
Yeah. So he said, you're dead, and then, and that's all I'm recording, and we'll get into that in a minute, because, yep, so go on. So he put Brady's body on a tarp and dragged him into another room, sat down again, and waited with his weapon loaded. And ten minutes later, of course, more shots are then heard on the audio, and you hear Kiefer scream. And then you hear, the obviously, her dropping, falling down the stairs. And at that point, no more shots are heard because Smith's rifle jammed. And then he had to reload another weapon, this time a twenty two caliber, and shot her multiple times. And at that point, he says again, you're dying, followed by another gunshot. So then he, apparently, that shot did not kill her, though. Mm-mm. And it ended up being a moment later that she died when he dragged her into another room she gasped for air when he realized she was still alive he fired what he described as a good clean finishing shot under her chin up into the cranium yeah so he realized when he had been dragging her into the other room to lay her next to her cousin's body that she was still alive because she gasped for air And so he reports that he fired a kill shot, basically, into her head to finish her off. He didn't, he claims that he didn't want her to suffer, so he wanted to kill her quick. And so that's why he fired that kill shot into her head um, to, you know, end it. But mind you, he shot both of these teens multiple times. Mm-hmm. Several times. It wasn't just, like, one shot self-defense. No, several times, both of them. And... Yeah. And there is some evidence from earlier that day that Brady and Kiefer, Kiefer committed at least a couple of the previous break-ins and were being investigated for prior burglaries, including one earlier on the day that they were killed. Right. So they were being investigated yeah. for some of the break-ins on his home and other homes in the neighborhood. So that's something to keep in mind as well. These two were known by the police in the area for prior instances of breaking in, and one over two of which were in Byron's home. Burglar. And they were seen on video casing his house. Mm -hmm. And mind you, he was watching them. Kind of reminds me of, like, the Grinch. You know how he has, like, this is such a weird comparison. You know how, like, in the Grinch, he's, like, in his lair, and they're, like, don't know that he's watching them? Burglar. And he's like, has, like, that telescope watching them climb up the mountain. Like, he's, like, casing them out. It's... It's kind of like what Byron was doing. He was kind of sitting away. He was watching these kids, you know, get ready to break into his house, which had happened so many times before. This is the part where I want to give a warning um, for anyone listening. We are going to play some audio that he recorded that day throughout the from here on out of the podcast. Um, it's, I think, important to hear to make a case. Yes. We described it so you know what you're going to hear. It's it's sad, it's scary, and it is, like, the end of these people's lives, so I don't want to take that with a grain of salt. But I do think it's important to hear what we're talking about in this recording. Now, as Matt mentioned, Byron had set up... It's like he set up a little shop in his basement. He had a recliner, he had all of his guns, he had water bottles around him, and he set up a recorder. Now, that recorder captured a lot, a lot, a lot of audio before, after, and during the incident here. So I want to play a little bit of that for you now, and I want to hear what, you know, if you guys have any opinions on it, but just just for warning, I would skip over this part. 
It was the sound captured by digital recorders that he strategically placed around his home that served an ear witness to the shootings. So Smith could be heard talking to himself. Now, like I said, the following is a very disturbing uh, audio clip, and so I'm just warning you now. Thank you. 
part of the gazillion hour recordings that he made and to be honest like listening to it again makes you kind of sad and like worried and nervous and angry like it elicits all kinds of emotions because it's like there's so many sides to what happened here and we'll we'll go over those in a second so basically in the first clip you heard you would hear smith say i feel a little bit safer not totally safe. I'm still shaking a bit, but a little bit safer. I left my house at 11.30. They were both dead by one. I refused to live in fear. I felt like it was cleaning up a mess. Worse than spilled food, worse than vomit, worse than, I don't know, cleaning up a mess, you're dead. He repeats sentiments like the above multiple times throughout the recording as you've heard. He says, I feel like I was cleaning up a mess. Not like spill food, not like vomit, not even like, not even like diarrhea. The worst mess possible. And I was stuck with it. I was doing my civic duty. It is the law enforcement system. I had to do it. I had to do it. It's the law system. And it fell in my lap. And she dropped her problem in my lap and she threw her problem in my face and I had to clean it up. I have not yet called the sheriff. They weren't together. I don't see them as human. I see them as vermin. And he said again, it's all fun and cool and exciting, highly profitable until someone kills you. I try to be a good person. I try to do what I should, be friendly to other people, help them when I can, try to be a good citizen, not cheat people, be fair. And because I try to be a decent person, they think I'm a I'm patsy, I'm a sucker. They think that I'm there for them to take advantage of. Is that the reward for being a good person? And then they dump this mess on me. It's not a mess like spilled food, he repeats this all the time. Not a mess like vomit, it's not even a mess like diarrhea, it's far worse. Then they take a slice after slice of me. And if I gather enough evidence, they might be prosecuted. If they're prosecuted, it might go to court. If it goes to court, they might be found guilty. And if they're found guilty, they might spend six months to two years in jail, or two to a year in jail. And then they're out. And then they need money worse than ever. And then they're filled with revenge. I cannot live a life like that. I cannot have that chewing on me for the rest of my life. I cannot. I refuse to live with that level of fear in my life. Wow. So that's part of what he said in that long recording and the bits that you heard. It was a little bit fuzzy, I'm yeah. sure, because his recording device was from 2012. Not, that's, not through, that's through three recording devices. There. His <laughs> yeah. recording device, your phone, and our recording device. Yeah. So we're so working through a lot. Before there. we get into all sides of the fence... We're going to go over the investigation a little bit. Matt, take it away. Yes. Well, let's get into the actual investigation. The deaths were not immediately reported to police. Please keep that in mind. Smith waited until the next day to let the police know that he had shot these two kids, claiming that he did not want to bother the police on Thanksgiving Day. Morrison County Sheriff Michael Wetzel has acknowledged that Brady and Kiefer were there to burglarize Smith's residence. So it has been acknowledged by the police investigating that that was the intention of these two. That was the intention, that they were there to steal from him. Brady's sister, 
later claimed that Brady stole drugs from her home two months earlier on August 28th in a case that was still under investigation. Smith's statements to police described delivering killing shots to the heads of both victims after he had shot them on the stairs and they had fallen to the basement floor wounded. So he shot them to, to wound them and then finished them off. And, and he admits them. that. He admits that openly. That was not something that was ever in question. And and part of his admission, which maybe I'll try to find an audio clip of it, he's, his excuse after the fact was because he didn't want them to suffer anymore. Like, he, he couldn't see them suffering, so we wanted to kill them quickly. That's what he said after the fact, mind you. That is not... The ramblings you just heard were also after the shooting. So it's it's pretty much two sides of the fence, and I don't know what the re- reality in his mind is. But just so you know, that's what he told the detectives is why he fired the kill shots. Right. Which is a little bit ironic, I think, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a little later. So, in his statement, Smith said that... Mich- er, I'm sorry, that... <laughs> I want to say Michelle Pfeiffer. I <laughs> That... Kiefer had let out a short laugh after she fell down the stairs. He heard that, and he said, if you're shooting somebody and they laugh at you, you go again. The audio tape, however, did not record Kiefer laughing, or at least it didn't pick that up. Instead, she was crying, oh my God, and was obviously in fear. Which you guys heard a couple right. seconds ago on the audio tape of that happening. Exactly. So, in interviews with police... Smith did acknowledge that he fired, quote-unquote, more shots than I needed to, and that he fired, again, quote-unquote, a good, clean, finishing shot into Kiefer's head. So, if you're wondering why this case is so back and forth, I hope you took it in from the beginning, but if you didn't, it's because of the Castle Doctrine Law, or the Standard Ground Law, or the... Protect your shit at all costs or shoot someone's head off law, right? So pretty much every gun owner on the planet Earth, I swear to God, has this, has the same mindset, has the reason they have a gun in the first place for protection, right? And the law states in a lot, a lot, a lot of places, if you are threatened in your own home, you can use lethal force, right? If you were threatened in your own, in your own place and you're being actively threatened, you can use lethal force and it not be counted against you, right? So the Castle Doctrine debate has to do with the Minnesotian, the, the, the Minnesotian, the Minnesota's Castle Law. Now, legal analysis have stated that the initial shooting most likely would, would have been justified under the Castle Law, but that the subsequent shots were not justified once the threat had been removed. So you have to think, they were coming down his basement stairs, he shot them both at the top of the stairs. Yep. Once, right, or like twice. And they fell down the stairs, still alive, but very badly wounded. That is where the legal definition of the castle law draws the line, right? If that stopped there, then he probably would not be prosecuted, he wouldn't even be brought to trial, I don't think, um... Because he was protecting his home. He was, two people were invading his space in his home, encroaching on his, you know, there to steal his belongings. 
and he stood his ground, right? But those finishing shots that he admits doing and the shots that, you know, the three more shots that he fired kind of negate the castle law because it's once the threat's removed, it's not justifiable anymore. Now, the castle doctrine is also known as the castle law or the defense of uh, habitation. Habitation. Habitate, yeah, that's right. The defense of habitation law. Now, that's a doctrine that designates a person's abode or any legally occupied place, a.k.a. a vehicle or a home. Mm. I didn't know a vehicle was part of that, to be honest. Yeah, if you own it, it's your possession, technically. Yes. So if you're in your car, you could technically shoot someone and... Well, they have if to they be try to car? break into your car, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. what like the statute is. Yeah, so. so anyways, a vehicle or home as a place in which a person has protections and immunities permitting one in certain circumstances to use force up and including to deadly force to defend oneself against intruder, free from legal prosecution for the consequences of the force used. Now, a person may have a duty to retreat to avoid violence if one can reasonably do so. So you can't just, like, go around shooting people because they walk into your home, regardless of the situation. That's just not exactly how it works. If you're able to, like, say you're standing in your front door and someone breaks in your back door, I don't know if that's a really good example. But basically, if you are able to get away, that's step one. That's that's choice one. We want to choose get the, get the fuck away from the violence, right? We don't want to flee towards it. We don't want to kill people nilly-willy when they walk into our home unless it's causing an immediate danger to you. So they do say if you're able to retreat, retreat, because that that will take away the castle law if they find that you were able to leave the situation and not have to use a deadly force to get out of it. The castle doctrine negates the duty to retreat when an individual is assaulted in a place where the individual has a right to be, such as within one's home. So maybe my example wasn't correct. Deadly force may be justified in a defense of justifiable homicide applicable in cases, in quotes, when the actor reasonably fears imminent peril of death or serious bodily harm to him or him, him or herself or another. Justifiable homicide inside one's home is distinct as a matter of law from castle doctrine. They are two different things. Because the mere occurrence of trespassing and occasionally a subject requirement of fear is sufficient to invoke the castle doctrine. The burden of the burden of proof of fact is much less challenging than that of justifying a homicide. In regards to Byron Smith, Hamline University School of Law professor Joseph Olson stated, I think the first shot is justified. After the person is no longer a threat because they're seriously wounded, the application of self-defense is over, which is what we were talking about. Now, a number of aspects in this case were noted by police as being inconsistent with self-defense, which is why this turns into an issue. This whole case, you know, thinking about it from the outside and two kids coming into rob you, you shoot them dead because they're trespassing in your home and it poses, you don't know what threat they pose to you. You've had guns stolen from your house. Right. You shoot them. In his scenario, not only did this apply, it almost kicks you in the balls with how many different statutes from this apply yeah. to... His scenario. Yeah, but then there's the flip side of it. So there are the inconsistencies with it not being premeditated, right? So the, like I said, the evidence brings out some inconsistencies in the self-defense argument. Smith moved his truck earlier in the day, and he claimed it was to clean his garage. However, prosecutors, of course, believe it was to mimic the look of him not being home, to kind of bait 
people who were going to burglarize homes to his house because it looks like he was not there, right? So that's why prosecutors believe he did move his truck. However, he believes, or he, he doesn't believe, he said it was merely to clean his garage. Another issue that the prosecution had with the case was that Smith recorded at least six hours of audio on that digital recorder we were talking about in the basement of his residence. The reason that's most shocking is because in the recordings, he is heard saying things that could be deemed as kind of preempting what was to come, right? So he was sitting in a chair at the bottom of his stairs with a loaded rifle, a tape recorded that captured not only the shootings, but a weird, wild monologue that he had. And I'll try to find a little bit of clips of that. Your left eye. Bruce, uh, stop by tomorrow morning. No rush, but uh, as soon as convenient. Can you do that? Yeah. Uh, park to the north. Hundred feet north. Hundred yards north of the corner, and walk in from the west. I realize I don't have an appointment, but I would like to see one of the lawyers here. But prior to the break-in, he is heard on the recording saying in your left eye. I'm mumbling to himself, I realize I don't have an appointment, but I'd like to see one of the lawyers here. So the prosecution noted that he was reciting that he needed to speak to a lawyer hours and hours and hours before this shooting happened. So their, def- their case was that why would you need a lawyer if people are breaking into your home and you're not, you know, you're, you're following the law. So that's an interesting point that they made is that the things that he was heard mumbling to himself prior to the shootings were definitely negating parts of the self-defense claim because why right. would you need a lawyer if... He's already preparing a defense, mm-hmm. it seems like, yep. in some ways. You know, like he knows he's doing something questionable mm-hmm. morally and obviously one of the big tenets of our law is do you have culpability do you understand your guilt and that what you did was wrong mm-hmm. it seems like he did know that like he was preparing for that and another thing he said was in your left eye and it was found later that Kiefer Kiefer was shot in the left eye by Smith and alleged that the other statement was a rehearsal, like I said, of what he was going to say to an attorney indicating that he knew he was going to eventually need an attorney that day. Let's get into trial, and then we'll wrap this up and talk about what we think happened here. So, Smith's recorded statements, the evidence indicating he had planned the shootings, alongside the excessive number of shots fired, led to the charges brought up of second-degree murder. Smith was initially charged with two counts of second-degree murder. However, in April 2013, he was indicted on two counts of first-degree murder. So they did change it from second-degree to first-degree. Yeah, because they said it was not only planned, but that he lay in wait. And Yeah. yeah. So second-degree murder, for those who don't know, is, is to my knowledge, just you weren't planning it, but what you did ended up in someone dying, correct? 
Or it was like a spur of the moment killing. Right? Technically, that would be manslaughter. No, so what murder two is is it's not aggravated. There wasn't an intended, designed killing, but, but it was you did kill somebody with the intent to kill them. Okay. And made sure that they died. Yeah. You know, it's not like you hit them with your car and drove away like yeah. vehicular manslaughter would be or something of that nature. Like Body manslaughter murder. means, you know, your actions caused the person to die. And murder means and it, no. Murder means you intended for them to yeah. die. So second degree murder was you did intend for them to die, but it wasn't as elaborately planned out. And first degree murder means that you, you essentially it. set it up for someone <laughs> yeah. to be killed. You were the the playbook. While of also intending to commit a crime in the meantime to yeah. cover it up or to commit another. Think felony. about that part too. Is that covering it up is also a crime? So, bail was set for Byron at $50,000, which he did post. Now, on April 29, 2014, he was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder with premeditation and on two counts of second-degree murder after three hours of jury deliberations. Jury deliberations. So, I always get so confused that they, like, is the reason they bring up so many charges just in case one doesn't get a guilty verdict and the other does? You can ask for what's called lesser known offenses. So, if you charge someone with first degree murder, but they don't believe that the statute is met to apply a first degree murder charge, but they do feel that second degree murder conditions are met. So, that's why they bring up on, like, 30 different charges to see what sticks, kind of. In a sense, yes, but they also have it's to like make a, a case more, for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a more mature and thought-out way of throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Exactly. So I'm going to read you guys exactly the difference between first and second degree murder here. And this is straight off the the old Google machine. No so Googs! We, all, we always get an answer from Google, you know. <laughs> we love our old Google machine. All right, so, uh, you know, I, I love old people, man. So, anyway, the most common separates murder into two degrees, first and second degree, and treats voluntary and involuntary manslaughter as separate crimes that do not constitute murder. Second degree murder is any intentional killing with malice aforethought which means you had bad intentions before the crime was committed. This is second-degree murder? This is second-degree murder. But here's the difference. But it is not premeditated or planned. Oh, so like you had bad thoughts. So you went there with bad intentions. But you didn't do a whole But you didn't necessarily go there with the mindset of, I'm going to kill this motherfucker tonight. Maybe you brought a gun <laughs> with you for protection, uh, but you didn't set it up where I know, you know where they like stay, where I know where yeah. they live, boom. I'm going to show That's up so there creepy. and boom. Got so it, got it, got it. so there's your difference yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, I love yep. that. A little bit of a difference. It's a distinct difference, but it's a very... It is, and it's something know. that like maybe, I mean, I didn't know the specifics between the two, so it's definitely something I'm sure our listeners will appreciate, you know, having that little bit there. And one day we're going to have to get my uncle on this because he's a criminal defense lawyer. So anyways, um, so Byron David Smith was immediately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, it was stated by the jurors that the audio recordings were named as the biggest influence on their decision. Now, I'm going to quote one juror here, and he said, um, his name's Wes Haddlestad, and he was one of the 12 jurors on the case, and he quoted, that was the most damning piece of evidence in my mind. 
that audio recording of the actual killings and the audio recording of Mr. Smith's interview immediately after Zeros, which we will play, pretty much convinced me that we were dealing with a deranged individual. It needs to be noted that Byron David Smith has tried to appeal his conviction, mm-hmm. and that has not gotten him anywhere. <laughs> That's not worked for him very well. He has been denied. This is where the debate comes in. Now, there are kind of three parts of the debate, and we're going to get into it with each other, and we're going to get into it with some people who have uh, weighed in on the case themselves. Now, the one side of the debate, there's I say there's three different parts because there's like a little middle area, right? So the one is homeboy was self-defense. He was... He was, his house was broken into, he was acting in self-defense, they broke into his house with the intention to, to do who knows what, I'm assuming Rob, but who knows, they stole guns from him before, he was protecting his property. He is a hero, is what people actually say. Second is, the man was fed up, scared, tired of being, you know, abused by these neighborhood kids, right. tired of the police not doing anything about it. Because clearly it had happened many times before and nobody was arrested. The charges weren't going through fast enough or, you know, something was not being done in a timely manner. So he took it into his own hands. So that's the second point. And then the third is he committed cold blood murder. He overkilled. He's a murderer. He's disgusting. He killed two teens. They weren't going to do any harm. They were just stealing some stuff, which is like some bullshit kid thing. You know, it's not that huge of a deal. He's a monster. He should be locked away for life. So those are the three sides to the debate here. Now, the Harmine Law professor, Joseph Daly, commented that the laws surrounding the case were dividing the Little Falls community. Because he said, in some states, someone breaks into your home and you are allowed to shoot them dead, period. A.K.A. Texas. <laughs> Texas has that kind of law where... Well, it's you a standard ground law. I mean, the most recent famous case was yeah. obviously... Trayvon Martin, come on, I was seeing, I was testing a little bit. George Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin in Florida. But wasn't he outside? Yes, but it was said he was in defense of his neighborhood. He was part of a neighborhood watch or whatever it was. I didn't know that, like, counted. I didn't know that that was Oh, yeah, that that was his defense at trial, was a stand-your-ground law. I mean, we're definitely going to talk about that case extensively, but, yeah. And Fox News host Sean Hannity, if anybody's unfamiliar with Sean Hannity, supported Smith's actions on his show, actually, inside the fact that they broke into his house. These two kids were in his house to commit a a robbery. Yeah, they were stealing from him. Yeah, And the police chief acknowledged that, that they were there to commit a crime, Mm -hmm. to possibly steal from him and possibly hurt him. We don't know. Yeah, and another guy even took it a step further on Sean Hannity's show, saying the guy should get a medal of freedom for what he did. Yeah. I mean, there's a Facebook page dedicated to Byron that calls him a hero, and it has almost 300 likes and followers. Like, which is so so as you see here, there's a, there's very distinct sides of the fence, and then there's that kind of like, uh, I, I agree, but this is why. So, speaking of that Facebook page, there's a gray middle ground there. I mean, we don't know, yeah. you know. Um, I wanted Matt and I to read a few of the comments on that Facebook page because, like. Matt said it's literally called, it's it's calling him a hero. And I want 
to show because on the Facebook page, of course, there's both sides of the fence, right? There's people that believe he should burn in hell, and there's people that believe he should be given that Medal of Freedom. Yeah, that he did a good thing and for I his community, And I thought it was interesting you know? to read some of these quotes from these people. Now, the About Me on the Facebook page does read, I think that people who get caught breaking into other people's homes deserve to be murdered without hesitation, without mercy, by any means possible. Home invasion is a growing threat and places you and your family at risk. Standing your ground is a good thing. Byron David Smith is an absolute hero for standing his ground and eliminating a threat to his home and property. Now that's the about me of the Byron David Smith is a hero Facebook page. And Matt and I are going to go back and forth and just read a few little comments here from people who have vastly different opinions um, back and forth about that. So, Matt, do you want to kick it off with the first one? I certainly will, Lisa. As far as I am concerned, those two teenagers were simply nothing more than terrorists. They were deliberately targeting elderly friends and neighbors who were under medical care for their medications and neighbors who had hunting rifle firearms. My concerns may seem to be overly drawn, but I shudder to think about what those two and others involved with them may have actually been involved in. So I'm, I'm, I think a little stretched calling them terrorists, but I do see that I see the points on both sides, don't you? Like you see, and we'll discuss how we personally feel in a second, but don't you see these? Like it's kind of they are making good arguments for both sides. So another comment says, "For killing the time." Oh, for killing the time, 18-year-old girl after his... Mind you, this is directly from Facebook, so any um, typos are literally from people's comments. So she said, for killing time, 18-year-old girl after his gun jammed makes Byron Smith a piece of shit murderer. So I'm guessing what that means is his gun jammed, he had the opportunity to realize what he did, and she was still living at that point, and instead he went around and shot her anyways in the face. Uh, under the chin up through the cranium, that makes him a murderer is pretty much what that one was saying. No. Mm-hmm. The next one? I just listened to the documentary. They claimed that he enticed them into his home. How? By sitting in his home reading a book? They broke a window and both of them came into his home uninvited. Actually, they were going to rob him again. That's a good point because... It is, so many people are like, he was like lying in wait, but how would you know someone is, I mean, he obviously saw them casing his house, but like, he didn't know on Thanksgiving, on this day, they're going to come back and try to rob me. Like, how would he ever have known that? That's not something you That's what I mean, yeah, I don't think he was sitting there. That's the thing, you almost want to think that he was sitting there waiting for them. He was probably sitting in his basement watching TV. Yeah. Or, like, reading a book or, like, you know, doing something, just hanging out by himself on Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, wasn't he a widower or something? Yeah, there was no, like, mention of spouse or kids. So, I mean... And it was Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving. So, you would assume that there is some reason he was chilling in his basement. I don't think he was just hanging out down there, Mm -hmm. you know, twiddling his But then there's the argument that he moved his car. That's true. But we'll go over that. We'll go over those, like, we details will. in a second. So, another one says, Byron David Smith is a coward who baited and shot two unarmed teenagers. I'm not much of a death penalty guy, but if anyone deserves it, it's this piece of scum. What a danger he is in a form... What a danger... What danger was he in from an unarmed, terrified woman who was lying on the ground after already being shot and begging for her life? 
Anyone who thinks this guy is a hero needs to take a long look in the mirror and look at the evidence. He could have stopped after shooting each one of them once and called the police, an ambulance, and the kids would have lived. And he'd be a free man. This guy was sick in the head and planned to commit the murder. I mean, his gun jammed after shooting the girl once, and he pulls out another gun and executes her while she's heard begging for her life. He's also on tape saying, you die now, and talking beforehand about shooting someone through the left eye, which is what he did, to an unarmed woman. Coward. You people must think Brock Turner is a hero too, huh? How does this page even exist? If he was a friend or family member of mine before this, I'd be ashamed, and he'd be dead to me. So that was one of the more passionate ones. Wow, that one had a lot of... uh... And then I want to read the next one so Matt can read the last passionate one. (laughs) So we each get a passionate person in here. Yeah. Um, So the next one says, this is a great transgression of justice. He was in his own home after the break-in previously. He did not go out after these two. He was a homeowner in his home. I cannot believe he was treated this way. I don't like him or his victims. What he did was wrong, but I also believe Haley and Nick had a lot of culpability for their own deaths. Perhaps that was down to drugs or not having a fully developed frontal lobe. <laughs> Who knows for certain, but what I do know is that the Kiefer and Brady families are never going to convince a majority of the public to see their kids as sweet angels who made minor mistakes. They were a pair of punks murdered by a guy who became paranoid in large part because of Nick and Haley, at all helping him to make helping to make him that way. No amount of references to wholesome yearbook pictures and how the two cousins laughed and played a lot, etc., <laughs> is going to change that. So wow, very very heavy there. I sincerely hope there is never another program produced about this case. Whoops. Sorry, one just ended on ID, and I changed it as soon as I realized it was about these murders. Maybe you'll like ours because we're quoting you directly. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you'll listen to this and be like, oh, shit, I said that. And then the next one says, and I think it's important to read these because it is, like, back and forth on the case, and we're getting to the end of them, and then we're going to discuss eye for an eye. But the scumbags targeted an older, vulnerable man. He was white and middle class. If he had been black, he would not be in jail. Well, I wrote the question marks because what the fuck, yes, he would be. If he was black... He would have been in jail when he... Like, what are you talking about he wouldn't be in jail if he was black? Yeah. This person's a little backwards. This person's a little, yeah. There's so much injustice towards, you know, our black brothers and sisters that it's it's literally... So I don't know what that comment meant. So next one is on you, bro. Anyone who gets into your property breaking crystals is a (laughs) therad. Threat. Well, she meant to say threat. Threat. But she said... Period. It might have been you. How are you supposed to know they're unarmed? How? Especially in a country where everybody has a gun. Good point, girl! You just had one chance to know it, and you'd better shoot first. For much less, many people have been killed by police officers in the USA. Like a deaf man who just did not follow instructions. What a coward and criminal murder against humanity. And the black gentleman who did not open the door and was executed by a police officer of a university. Yeah, big threats. Do you think she's mean to say threats? I don't know. I think she means threats. She said it twice. Yeah, she did did this twice. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, big threats, but two white drugged burglars are not a threat, huh? 
So these white, cute burglars were supposed to be protected by the owner of the house they were burglarizing, huh? No threat, but a deaf man or a black man in his car is a big threat, huh? Literally every single time she has a thread, like T-H-R-E-A-D. So we're convinced that she's confusing those two words, thread and thread. <laughs> okay. That one's powerful, though. We're going to discuss all of these in a second here. So another one says, every time I heard this story on Dateline, I become infuriated. Those kids were criminals and headed for more criminal activities. Putting fear in good people. Shame on Morrison County's lawyers for making it okay for people to rob people and turning those kids into victims. And then the last one, Matt, you take it away. Boy, you bring us home. <clears throat> Let's do it. I feel for Byron Smith. He served his country and then had to suffer with PTSD. Then he is rewarded for his heroism by being robbed and terrorized by local thugs and drug addicts. I feel he absolutely took things too far, but I also feel the shootings were absolutely justified whether he sat at home prepared for a robbery or not. I refuse to live in fear, is what he said after killing the burglars. He is so right. No one should have to fear for their home and safety. It is so sad that these burglars had to ruin Byron's life along with theirs. He did not know these people and had no clue they were coming, so how he could premeditate their deaths makes absolutely no sense. He was just overtly, overly paranoid and protective of his house and his life, after being robbed previously and, of course, dealing with PTSD. I am sure he felt like he was back in war having to protect himself from enemies who were trying to kill him and take advantage of him. There is no way this man deserved life without parole. I thought that was a powerful one to end with. I think that is a... Honestly... And these are all on the Byron David Smith is a Hero Facebook page, which is yeah. still live and active. Comments are still in there from December 2017, so like month ago. And we have one more comment from one of our Facebook listeners um, who comments and listens, and we love her, Madeline. And she said, which I thought was an interesting take on it as well before we get into our thoughts. She said, because I quoted that we're doing this case tonight, and she said, here we go. <clears throat> My thoughts on this are very strong. After listening to all of his audio tapes and watching visual reenactments of what happened in that basement, I think the dude murdered them in cold blood. He lured them in and then murdered them. He is where he deserves to be. That being said, of course, what the teens did was wrong. They broke into houses. But does that mean it warranted a death penalty on their part? Absolutely not. I think this is a great case for you guys, especially considering your podcast name is Eye for an Eye, because that's exactly what happened here. He decided to take their lives and take the law into his own hands, and in return, he had his life taken away from him as well. I think the justice case, uh, the justice was rightly, I think, oh my gosh, I think justice was rightly served in this case. So thank you, Madeline, for your... Please tell me how to say your fucking name, because I don't want to mess it up, and I'm sorry if I keep butchering it. Clearly, I have a problem with pronunciation. We're going to call you Maddie for now. So, Maddie, thank you for your feedback, and I loved that take, because it's just a different one. It's interesting to hear that, you know, it does really reflect the eye for an eye. Literally. Geraldo Rivera, an American attorney, also stated that he would have fired the initial shots, but supported the guilty verdict and expressed disgust over the Finishing shot of the girl. I I will say I agree with Geraldo only on what he said. 
about that and his kind of callous way of putting that of, mm-hmm. I fired a good clean shot to finish her. Like, dude, what? You're talking about, like, mm-hmm. I'm not in favor of hunting anything or anyone or killing anything, obviously, but... I mean, he made it sound like he was out there hunting deer. Like, he was, you know, like, I put a good clean headshot in. Like, dude, you're talking about you just ended a human being's life. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you were justified, his whole attitude and, I don't know, I mean, the whole yeah. attitude of him being on recording and almost kind of, it was like it was a documentary to but some listen degree. listen to this. So I was talking to people today about this case, obviously, And someone brought to my attention um, psychotic symptoms in PTSD patients. Now, apparently, among combat combat veterans with PTSD, 30% to 40% report auditory or visual hallucinations or delusions. And the presence of psychotic symptoms in PTSD is associated with a more severe level of psychopathology similar to that of chronic schizophrenia. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I had someone let us let us read this. I'm not going to mention names, but they let me know their opinions on this. And they said, I suffer from PTSD and PTSD and trigger-related schizophrenia and manic depressive disorder. And several times while being unmedicated have come to a few days after with a backpack full of weapons, which were butter knives and Legos, while taking apart electronics to home devices, in quotes, and also have no memory of anything. But people watched and even recorded some of it, and my actions were very dangerous I had, not, had I not been monitored. So even while on medication, if I'm triggered, I have to force myself through the PTSD, they call them episodes, and they can take anywhere from 3 to 12 days to completely process and refresh. And that's if they come back to back. Fuck, I'm out for weeks. So that was their response and thinking maybe this is what Byron suffered from because he is a vet. He has been burglarized so many times. And even after being burglarized once, people suffer from PTSD. It's a scary thing to have someone that you don't know that is uninvited, bust into your home, you know, no matter how it happens, steal your stuff. It's an unnerving feeling. So, Matt, here are the questions I have for you. Let's discuss. Let's do it. First, was this overkill? Yes. Yes, I would say it was, absolutely. I mean... I don't think anyone deserves to die... So here's the thing. ...over robbery. Um, I don't necessarily know about that. <laughs> I, won't, I won't make he that... He paused and like... No, I won't make that blanket statement because if somebody comes in your house with your intention to rob you and kill you... Well, you added in kill. I just said rob. But I think one of these comments on that Facebook page made a great point. How do you know... You're right. Are you going to stop them in the middle of your house and be like, hey, just real quick, are you going to kill me or do you just want my stuff? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there is no way of distinguishing a life-threatening situation and and a non-life-threatening situation. And you should have the wherewithal if you're going to break into someone's house, there is a risk you're going to get your ass shot to the floor. Exactly. So here's my thing, though. Why is this overkill? You said yes at the beginning offhand. I hesitated for a second only because I think he knew he was going to kill them. I don't think he ever had a question about that. Well, I think the that. definition of overkill is... He just pumped a bunch of shots into them. Yeah, like he one shot would have sufficed. And like the other Facebook comment said, 
you could have called an ambulance. You could have said, but but I think in his mind, you're right. I think he did want to kill them because in his ramblings, or at least in his, I don't know if he was in a psychotic state. I don't even know if that was part of the trial at all. It didn't say anything, and I don't understand why it wouldn't be. Well, but in his ramblings, he said, "I I'm scared. I was scared." I didn't know what these kids' intentions were. It's happened a million times. No one has done anything about this. Yep. They'll get out of jail, and then they'll be more angry, and they'll come after me again. Yep. And I so I do think that proves intent. I do. I think Yeah, I think his intent was clear. And I think it only was solidified by the fact that he recorded himself... <laughs> For hours. ...saying things like this. He could have later at trial said, I fired that many shots. I mean, there were four shots in both of them, three or four shots in mm-hmm. both of them. He could have said it was dark. I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I was hitting them. Mm-hmm. Hell, I'm, I'm a terrible shot. Mm-hmm. But he literally records himself after they've fallen down the stairs. And before. And before. During. During. Saying things like, You're dead. You're dead. You're dying. Bitch. That's the most, like... Ugh. Yeah, I mean, things it's, like that. It's definitely... I don't care what her name was or who she was. He clearly had some... I, I think also I'll agree with another one of those comments that... And, and I'm sorry, Weren't this was... Were those comments a, good? They I were, like, yeah. I tried all, to pull the ones that were like most... Most relevant. I think that was a very pertinent set of comments there. They really did come together and you get both sides of it. But it was the juror... Haddlestad that said the recordings made us realize we were dealing with a deranged individual. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that in a jury room because I really believe that these people probably in deliberation said, fuck them, let's leave the victims out of it. Obviously they were criminals, they were there to commit the crimes. Let's leave them out of it though. We're not going to talk about them. Let's look at the old man. Mm-hmm. What did he, what was his state of mind? If you listen to that recording, it's pretty clear what his state of mind was. But that's the thing. Is it a mental thing or is he just an angry, upset, scared man? You know what I mean? Is it a mental thing? Because like I said, we brought up the PTSD conversation. And do you, he, I mean, he was burglarized upwards of seven, eight, nine, ten times yeah, before I mean. this. And you could only be burglarized so many times before you fucking lose your mind. So... And he was an Army vet, or Air Force vet. This leads to our next question, then. Yep. Was this killing justified? Ooh, Lord, this is where it gets complicated. So so I'm going to ask you, I'll pose you that question first. All right. Was it justified? In my mind... Oh, fuck, I don't... I... Okay. Let me break it down a little bit, because my question... It's... I can't answer yes or no to that question because it's too hard because I have to explain my reasoning for both sides and then, like, where I stand. I can, but I want to hear your explanation. So my explanation to this, was it justified? No. I don't... I don't know. Wait, just tell me yours. I don't know. I don't know. I don't ever think someone should be killed. I think he should have called the police after the first shot. However, if I had been burglarized ten times... They're stealing weapons from me. I don't know if they're armed. I don't know who they are. They continue to do it. No one's doing anything. I can empathize with snapping the fuck, especially being in an older age, having possibly PTSD or some kind of traumatic mental incapacitation or whatever. I can completely empathize with that. Now, I need, so I don't, I, can, I honestly don't think I can answer as a justified because like, 
I can understand it from both sides. No, I don't think they should have been shot in the face because they broke into this old man's home. But, like, the Facebook comment said, how would he have known what their intentions were? How right. do we know it hasn't gotten more malicious or they weren't doped out on drugs or something and in a, in a wild state of mind? And on the other hand, it's like, I do understand why he did it because it's like, you don't know and then they shouldn't have died, but then they burglared him. What did they think was going to fucking happen? Right. I mean, they obviously had to know... There's a risk. I hope that they knew there was a risk going in. Like, come on. Wait, you do you are... think it was justified? Oh, I'm excited. Yes, I do. Do you? Yes, I do. 100%. I've thought from the beginning. And here's why. I look at it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's hard for me to get into their shoes. But at least I'll think of it as they didn't have the intention to hurt anyone. It seemed like. They didn't think the old guy was home is what I get at. But Byron David Smith, on the other hand, had been just tortured in my... I mean, like, psychologically tortured to the point that every time he probably left his house, he was worrying if there was going to be stuff in it when he got home. I believe, I'm a real estate agent. I was in a mm-hmm. house earlier that there all the copper had been stolen out of the freaking place. They took all the copper out of the place. <laughs> I mean, these are people, like, you just don't know who you're going to get. And and it was multiple people. And it was multiple people, multiple times. He probably was so paranoid that he thought that anybody that came near his house was considering robbing it, case in the place. I think... Ten times? Ten times? Upwards of ten times? I think by that point... And here's how I look at it. If I'm him, I would have been lying in wait. I might have set it up so that, like, oh, I hope they come in yeah, tonight. Yeah, like, enough's enough. And I'm 26, and I think in pretty, pretty good physical shape. I would have been standing there with a baseball bat. <laughs> I wouldn't have killed anybody, but I could damn sure make sure that you ain't walking out yeah. of this place. They're carrying you out of my house. Yeah. But this guy was 65. And a veteran. You're right. He's probably not in the best physical shape anymore because of his service Ooh, and because him. of all that he's done. So he's probably thinking, what chance do I have to defend yes. my house? Yeah. How am I going to defend my house if someone really wants to come in here? They probably can. He's he's not going to be able to do too much. So he thought, you know what? I think I'm just going to wait. If I have the chance, I'm going to prove a point and let these fuckers know this is my house. No one comes into my house. And I'm saying that as myself. I would feel that same way. I would never want to feel insecure in my home. I agree. And and like you said, he's a vet. He's he's probably already in a fragile position. And to be burglarized even once, like we've talked about, could put you in the most sensitive of states, especially with that kind of a background, let alone upwards of six, seven, eight, nine, ten times... I agree. I agree. It's just so hard. I don't know. You know me. It's hard for me to justify killing someone, but I do. I I agree. I think after 10 times of calling the police and having to deal with your shit being stolen, having to do with your weapons being stolen, having to do with all your valuables, really things that mean really important things to you. They stole his dad's prisoner of war memorabilia. That is intense because Lord knows his father is probably not around anymore. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that was, that's a family that's heirloom. That's like you stealing, like, peanut. <laughs> that's not quite the same thing. But it's still... <laughs> like my adoption documents. 
Uh, right, that would be a perfect example. That's an heirloom. That's something you want to have the rest Forever. of your that's life. Forever. My, that's my history. That's my That's my past. I, I agree with you. And so, do you think he was merely protecting himself? You kind of answered that one, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we... I was going to say we kind of answered a question. But what about this part? Do you think that prior break-ins with little to no police intervention played a role? Like, Absolutely. For instance, do you think if they had been arrested the second, third, fourth, first time that he would have still been as paranoid to have I don't believe so I don't believe he would have felt as unprotected as he did it seems like he sort of felt and here's the thing well he said like they're not doing anything yeah it's hard because I agree with you I don't think anyone deserves to die but after so many times that these guys stuck their hand in the cookie jar or whoever it was if it wasn't them this time, and well, it clearly was they else knew before. this house was a They target. knew like, this you place don't just was burglarized the same place a hundred thousand times. If you know that there's a man that's a little bit loose inside, ready to kill you, you wouldn't take it that chance. One of these Facebook comments said, and I believe it seems like this person must have known the the area or something because it says. They were deliberately targeting elderly friends and neighbors who were under medical care for their medications and neighbors who had hunting rifles or firearms. So it seems like these guys kind of had their idea already set of Mm. we're going to go for the valuables, we're going to find the easy targets, the elderly people, the... the, uh, um, That's so sad. It is. It's terrible. I mean, people that are homebound Mm -hmm. or not homebound in a, you know, in a... I, it's just, it's despicable to think that people make a living off of doing that or feed an addiction off of doing that, but that's the way of the world. Yeah. And I think that had there been some intervention by police... He would have felt safer. He would have at least felt like, okay, I'm not alone out here. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm alone in thinking this, but let me know because I'm curious in your thoughts. The recording they listened to, right? Obviously, the first part's horrific. You're hearing people die. It almost sounds fake, to be honest. It doesn't even sound real because, obviously, that's not something in my reality that, like, I listen to people die all the time. Like, that's horrible. But the part right after that where he's, like, mumbling those, like, statements to himself, you know, that I'm still shaking. Like, I I don't, you know, I don't, I I still don't feel 100% safe. I can't live a life like that. I cannot have that chewing on me for the rest of my life. I refuse to live with that level of fear in my life. Repeated constantly. And he says, I feel a little bit safer, not totally safe. I'm still shaking, but a little bit safer. That, and I refuse to live in fear. I that feel is like sad, man. It's sad. I don't care what, I mean, like, I do care what he did because that's horrible, but, like, that's so sad. And you can, I think that alone, so the recordings put him in jail, right, for life. And he's currently there. He's 71 right now, in jail still, uh, kicking, still in jail. Again, he's tried to overturn his convictions, has not been successful. But that part of the recording tugged at me a little bit. Like, clearly, clearly he's has p- some sort of PTSD or some sort of... Um, psychotic break, obviously, to be able to, you know, kind of seemingly plan out or not plan. You can't plan it and out. That's I, what I mean. We don't even know that he planned it. Like, because okay, so say he did move his why, car. Why like Thanksgiving? Well, like, well you know. say he did move his car. Say he did have his guns in his armchair. He did not force those kids into his house on that day. That's they what I chose mean. to do that. He could have set it up so like. 
I mean, I, I honestly know people that have guns in strategic places in their house. It's just probably smart. It is smart. I mean, for Christ's sake, if yeah. you're in your if you're in your room and your gun is in a basement safe and someone <laughs> breaks in your fucking front door, good luck. Yeah, you, know, you got to go buy them to get the gun. <laughs> you need to stop them. Like, so I know like people that are set yeah. up like that. But I'm saying like I don't necessarily think that. You can ever prove. That's why I'm kind of surprised that he was convicted. Because it's hard to prove intent when you can't force someone to walk into, to your, walk house. into your house. They There's should have had mental the evaluations. Case. They should have had all of this to prove that this man was either unstable. Or like, like you said, how in the world would he have planned for two separate people yeah. to use their own brains to On break into his house? Day, On that day, at that time that he happened to not be. I mean, he might have been sitting in the living room. Yeah. You know, earlier that day, and the like, TV was on, and they didn't want to come in because they saw him through the window. Like, I mean, if don't he know planned that. it, then you would think that they would imagine that he was sitting in his basement for a month, just sitting there That's waiting what for I someone mean. Yeah. to break in for a month. If he was, if he had it planned, it would be a scenario where, like, and I've thought about it, like, he got in his car, drove away. Had a friend drop him off a mile from his house, and he walked back to his house, snuck in the back door, turned off all the lights, sat there with a shotgun, and waited. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then you could say to me, it was clearly planned Mm -hmm. that he had this set up. The fact that he had a gun sitting next to him, I mean, dude, I know people that carry everywhere they go. Yeah. To church, to the grocery store, to visit their mother at the nursing home. Everywhere they go. And I'm telling you, like, it's not that unusual. In a state like Minnesota, I don't know what it's like. Gun laws are obviously probably not as liberal as a place like Texas. But we're in PA, and it's not the the most, you know, gun-happy, toting state in the world. What about the argument, which is, I think, where the jury were coming from a little bit with the, the recording thing, that before it even happened, he was reciting how to call the lawyer. What would you say to that? Because wouldn't that kind of prove some? That could technically prove that maybe he was anticipating something happening, but you still can't force someone to yeah, burglarize your home. I, I thought about that, and I actually so would, would say you, that that would be, and that's why, like, I, I, but doesn't I like what Hattelstad said doubt? about the recording. Yeah, that 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 does call into mind reasonable doubt, but it also shows to me that he. But isn't reasonable doubt to sentence someone? Like, how can you sentence someone to life if there's reasonable doubt? So yes, reasonable doubt calls into question whether or not the person could have committed the crime. If there's any circumstance that could have okay, been someone else. Okay, so it doesn't do like else. a physical crime. No, this is not a, a question of reasonable doubt. He did it. He's yeah. questioning whether or not it was justified for him to Premeditated. Exactly. Even if it was premeditated, he was saying that it was to save his own life. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's not a question of reasonable doubt. It's a question of, is he able to be in his home securely and also be able to kill someone without Do you fear think punishment reprisal. His defense messed up by calling the castle doctrine into play or self defense? Do you think he would have won the case had he said this was like manslaughter, like, hey, they broke into my house. I shot them out of fear and I just kept shooting because I was nervous and scared. Maybe. So I, I mean it was just kind of like circumstance, not let me put it to you like this. If I was on his defense team, 
I would have seriously played up the fact that this man is 65 years old. Mm-hmm. He's a Vietnam veteran, and he's been dealing with this problem for the last X amount of years. He's lost X amount of dollars to this, this obvious pest yeah, in this items. neighborhood. Yeah. And, and an untold number of sentimentality for the items that were taken from him. Plus... The most important thing... Sense of security? His sense of security. I would have played that up to a jury and said, this man felt that there was no choice. He was a raccoon cornered. Where do you go from here? Police wouldn't help him. Neighbors wouldn't help him. What does he do? Takes it into his own hands. Takes it into his own hands. Eye for an eye. Eye for an eye. There we go. So, but now, again, it, this case is so intriguing because it's almost like you said, look at it from their perspective. Do they deserve to die for having Broken tried to make a few bucks? Yeah. Stolen, you know, yeah, obviously it's a crime. They but did even, something terrible and, and re- obviously just mm-hmm. irreprehensible, but. But even in Byron's little recording, he says, you know, so I call the police. So they get arrested. They go to court. They go to trial. They and go to jail for six point. months to a year. Then they come out more scorned or not reformed. Pissed off at me again. that they did this and now I put them in jail. And it's and already happened ten times before. What's not to say it's going to happen 30 more times down yep. the road? Well, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> That's not the thing. But <laughs> the one thing I truly believe oh. he was justified for doing was recording what happened. Because I think he he was justified in doing that in the sense that he wanted people to know how he felt. Mm -hmm. I think how he felt was the evidence enough to convict him. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think he was justified in doing that because it's really his way of saying this is to the point. This is the point that I've been driven to. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way to convey that, yeah. because otherwise it just sounds like, con- out of context, it sounds like, yeah, I just shot these two kids as they broke into my house. It's almost like, well, damn, dude, did you have to shoot them? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, you don't know. No, he felt like, at this point, I am in no outlet situation. I have to do this, or I will be the one that's going to be dead. Do you think part of the juror's decision, before we wrap this up, was based on the fact, okay... We let him out of jail. He's killed two people in in self-defense because that's what he would be let off on. Right. These were not the only two people who burglarized him. No, we don't believe at least. No. I mean, probably not. Yeah. And he's now a threat to the rest of the community because you try him again, he's going to shoot your face off. Yep. Do you think that was part of the sentencing thought? Do you think that even went through their minds like, okay, if we let this man out, what would be the next steps if what people were stupid enough to go back to his home and try to burglarize him? I absolutely would believe... Would more people be dead? I absolutely believe that that was part of his sentencing. That they looked at that and said, if we let this guy... More, more so for the future cases than for his. If we let this guy out, what does that say to anybody with a gun who feels threatened? Mm-hmm. I'll pull the trigger and then I'll deal with the consequences later because I felt threatened. Mm-hmm. Granted, 
anybody in their home could make that argument. Which is why this case Which got is so why much. this case got so much written publicity and why people are still in so much upheaval about it. But to me, it's almost like, you know, where exactly do you draw the line between what's, what's permissible in saying, I felt threatened, and what's not a threat, and you just perceived it as a threat? Mm-hmm. You know, if I walk past you brandishing a gun and yelling about how the aliens are coming, <laughs> am I a threat? Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. at least at that point, I'm considering it. <laughs> but if I walk up to you and I have a gun holstered on my hip and my hands in my pockets and I'm listening to music, am I a threat? No, probably not, but, but if somebody you do that and you break into someone's house. Well, yeah, then you're, yeah. But I mean, somebody who might not like guns might say, there's a guy walking around openly carrying a gun downtown Pittsburgh. I mean, someone come get this dude. Mm-hmm. Am I a threat? I wouldn't say so. If I saw that, I'd be like, oh, that dude's carrying a nickel plated Glock. That's cool. Whatever. Whatever he was carrying. I wouldn't make it a deal. But some people would. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's all about perception. And therefore, I think we need to ask the final question. Was it I for an eye Uh I think Byron David Smith did his version of an eye for an eye. He certainly gave out his justice. He doled out justice I how he felt. I don't. As far as sentencing goes, I do not believe an eye for an eye was met. I don't think... The punishment fits the crime. I do believe maybe he should have gotten, I don't know, maybe some jail time. I'm not sure. Um, Because, like, you're right. What is that pointing out to society saying, like, okay, where is that line? It's such a fine line. Why is this case justifiable but this case isn't? Right. What tells you what's a threat? This man has been brutalized a gazillion times. You've been burglarized once. You shot and killed them dead. He shot and killed them dead, but you're out and he's not. So it's one of those things where it's like the perceived threat, and I mean, who are you to say someone how how threatened someone else feels? Like we don't know. Like he was probably shit scared. Yeah. And and obviously in a different psychotic state. I'm guessing I'm not a psychologist, but it sounds based on his mumblings that he was just so afraid. And like I talked about with my friend, PTSD induced psychosis. That's a real thing. PTSD induced schizophrenia. Absolutely. That's a real. Absolutely. And I think that could absolutely be part of this, but we don't know for sure because that was <gasps> ever discussed, excuse me. So I don't believe he should have been given life in prison without parole. I mean, he's a 71-year-old man now. He's going to obviously be spending the rest of life. Even if he got a 15-year sentence, there's a good chance he would have been dead in prison anyways. He would still die in prison. So I think, just the, I think that's a harsh sentence for what happened. Yes, he killed two people, but those two people broke the law, broke into his house multiple times. I don't know. I think... I don't think... I think... I don't know. <laughs> I'm so confused on this case. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I could go both ways. I could literally see such a reasonable argument for both sides. I want to agree with you 100% on that. I can see either way how somebody could be... Passionate about their side. Yes, could feel one way or the other. Anytime killing someone is not the exact equivalent of what would have happened to you. 
that's always a difficult case to decide. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In saying that, what I mean, and I know I'm sorry that sounds so vague, but if your life isn't immediately threatened, like gun out, gun out, I killed them or they would have killed mm-hmm. me scenario, it's always like, well, could that have ended differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and they were unarmed. They were unarmed, which is why it's so but hard. The Facebook post said, you know, how did he know that? How did he they know that? They stole guns from him. They well, maybe stole maybe, guns, but... or someone stole guns from. Maybe he thought they were carrying one of his guns. Who knows? And and you think after being vandalized and robbed ten times, it you would think maybe they're gonna get smarter. Maybe they they know my house now. Maybe they're gonna get more yeah, malicious. Maybe they're coming after me now. Maybe, maybe they know where I sleep. Yeah, maybe it's something more extreme this time. Maybe they're getting a little more, you know, desperate for some, you know, bigger, greater, a bigger thrill. Right. Um. But yeah. So what do you think, eye for an eye? <sighs> No, I don't believe an eye for an eye was met here. I think, honestly, the fact that this guy is going to spend the rest of his life in jail is just ludicrous. I mean, I, I do believe that it was a justified shooting because I think at this point he had no, in his mind, other recourse. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really, I don't necessarily believe that, but like I said, I'm not a 65-year-old mm-hmm. man who's been robbed 10 yeah. times Every time he leaves his house, he's I'm nervous. I'm just like imagining my grandparents when they were living. That's what I mean. They would react. I'm thinking about it so as scared. like, yeah, what would you do if you were an elderly person? Especially my life? grandpa, who was a POW of, you know, the the war. And so, can you imagine how fragile that mentality is as well? No, I mean, anything like that probably sends them back into a river. I think what would have been a justifiable sentence would have been maybe... A year, definitely probation of some sort. You can't just kill people, be like 100% free. And maybe psychiatric help, because clearly, clearly he was in such a fragile state. At least I think he was in such a fragile state that, you know, his he felt his only option was to take these vermin out of the world. Because nobody else was helping him. He felt alone. They continued to come back to his house. See, that's also another reason, though, why (laughs) it's so difficult, because that recording makes him sound so... Wild. Malicious, and Mm -hmm. just, like, But, like, the end part of it is kind of, like, parts of it make me sad, and then parts of it are like, what the, where did that come from? Yeah, parts of it make you feel sad. It's like a killer in a movie. That's exactly what it feels like. It's almost like Like he is... Like the backstory of a killer in a movie type of thing. Almost like he's feigning for sympathy, and then his true feelings come to light. But I also kind of felt like, no, I definitely sympathized with him because his situation is terrible. I mean, I couldn't imagine being in that scenario. Yeah, putting myself in that shoes. You burgling me ten times. I'm either moving or you're getting tased when you walk through my door. Like, like I'm going to set up tasers to smash your ass. I really think I would probably set it up where, like, if I was robbed a couple times and I thought that not they even were a couple, back, this was more than a couple, at least half a dozen. That's what days. I mean. More than once or twice, I'd be sitting there lying in wait, mm-hmm. hoping they came back. Honestly, for probably a couple weeks, yeah. I wouldn't be sleeping very. My well. house just used to get vandalized a lot when I was little, and my dad would sit outside on our front porch, not with a gun, because we don't, you know, we don't do the weapon thing in my family. But he'd sit outside with like a baton, <laughs> which I guess is a weapon, but like. You know, he'd, he'd sit outside and fuck with me. I'm out here ready ready for you. Yeah. Like, you've been, you vandalized my house one more time. I'm going to fucking mess your life up 
one way or another or call the police instantly. Like, you're going to be fucked. Mm -hmm. So come mess with me. Try me. And I think a lot of people would do the same. I don't think anybody ever wants to feel like they're insecure in the place they're supposed to feel most secure. No. So this was definitely a, a wild case, and there's definitely so many opinions to be had, and we'd really love to hear yours. Please give us some feedback on this one. We, we want, honestly, if anything, this Dis- case, I'm sure, is going to have people... On all on the sides. All over we the read comments from the Hero Facebook page that literally contrast each other completely. Yeah. And one side or the other. I mean, good points on both sides, too. That's the thing. There's no one who was like, oh, wow, that didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, they really did kind of all strike a chord with us. It's like, that really is relevant to this Even case. Even when it's like, not necessarily my... In my brain conclusion, they make me rethink my conclusion because I'm like, that's a good point. Right. That's a really good point. That's a good point well made. Um, But please go rate, review us, subscribe if you want to hear more. We have some fun little mini-sodes that we have a new series coming out called What the Hell Happened Here? WTH3. And actually, I think I'm going to release the first episode before this one. So if you haven't listened to it at this point, go backwards and listen to it. Um, well, I thank you, Matt, and please give us your feedback. Let us know. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, all iFryPod or iFryPodcast. You'll find us. We have a new badass logo. Shout out to Rachel again for being amazing. Rachel, you killed it. Killing and chilling as always. So we're signing off here. Matt, good night. Keep your house safe. I will, Lisa. I hope you do the same. Brady and Kuiper, yeah, we, we definitely also have to send our condolences, condolences to, to their, their families. families and, and, you know... Because it's a terrible situation they were in, too, if they were drug addicts, obviously, you know. Or even if they were just kids Or if they were just stupid. idiot kids, yeah, I mean, they could have just been idiots. But, like, come on now. Yeah, at the same time, if you break into someone's house, Let people, that be a lesson. The moral of today's episode is... Don't break into people's houses. Or if you do, expect the worst. Yeah. Go in expecting the worst. Your ass will get shot. Yeah. So on that note, we love you. Thank you for tuning in with us again. This is a definitely a wild case. Sayonara, motherfuckers. See ya. We start tonight with breaking news out of Little Falls. Byron Smith is guilty of first-degree murder for the 2012 shooting deaths of two teenagers who broke into his home. The jury reached its decision just hours ago, and we have team coverage tonight in Little Falls. Let's begin with 5 Eyewitness News reporter Beth McDonough, who has been following this case since the very beginning. Beth? Like the falls on the Mississippi River that run through town... The current of this community is churning. We were not surprised. It seemed like most of the evidence was against him. For more than a year, Little Falls watched a real life and death drama. The guilty verdict in the Byron Smith case brings with it strong opinions. I felt it was wrong. I felt that he had a right to defend himself, although he didn't have to overkill. The case fueled debate over how far people can go in defending themselves in their own homes. You should have stopped with a couple of shells. That was enough. For Little Falls, the waiting and wondering is now over. Everyone in Little Falls is connected. Everyone knows everyone else. It ripped the town apart pretty bad. This verdict brings a turbulent chapter in this town's history to a close.